Part three, section three, chapter thirty five C of Organic Evolution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Organic Evolution by Richard Swan Lull. Chapter thirty five C Horses. Pleistocene. A number of extinct species of equus are recorded, principally from the Pleistocene of both North and South America and the Old World. Of these, the best known is Scott's horse, Equus Scotti, from the Staked Plains, Llano Estacado of Texas. This species, of which a number of perfect specimens have been found, was discovered at Rock Creek, Texas, in 1899, by an expedition from the American Museum of Natural History. Thirteen years later, a party from Yale reopened the quarry and secured several more specimens, one of which is now mounted in the Yale Museum. It is of an animal about fifteen hands in height, having somewhat the proportions of a western bronco, but with a very large head, and with teeth greater than those of a modern dray horse, although very similar in pattern. Horses of this or related species, some smaller, others larger, are extraordinarily abundant wherever the earlier Pleistocene deposits are found in North America, and they evidently survived the first glacial advance, but shortly afterward, why we cannot tell, they became extinct not only in North, but in South America as well. This apparently was also true of Europe, but in Asia and Africa the race found sanctuary, Otherwise the horse would be included with the mastodons, ground sloths, saber-toothed cats, and a host of other splendid creatures among the totally extinct. Glacial conditions alone seem inadequate to account for this great tragedy, for not only did the hand of death bear heavily upon the equine herds within the limits of the ice belt, but far beyond, to the uttermost confines of the western hemisphere. That no permanent change of environment occurred to render the earth unsuitable for these creatures is evident from the amazing way in which the few imported horses liberated by the Spanish conquistadors multiplied and spread, giving rise to the great herds of wild mustangs in both North and South America. We look naturally, therefore, for some other cause of extinction, and the one of all theories that seems most plausible is the bringing in by migrating animals of insect-transmitted disease, such as the sleeping sickness of Africa, or the Sura disease which attacks domestic horses in India. A further discussion of this problem has been given in Chapter 17 on parasitism and degeneracy. So far as we know now, such an extinction cause is incapable of proof, unless it shall be found that these diseases produce a recorded change upon the bones themselves, for of course the soft anatomy of fossil horses is utterly beyond our reach for direct study. Living Horses Several species of horse-like animals are yet alive in their wild condition in Asia and Africa, all of those of Europe and the Americas being either domesticated or feral, that is, of domestic ancestry. Of the true horses, but one wild type remains, the Mongolian or Prevalsky horse, the tarpan of the Gobi Desert of Central Asia and the neighboring regions. It is a small animal, standing but twelve hands, of a yellow dun or buckskin color, with black mane, tail, and legs, and a white muzzle. There is no forelock, the mane is short and upright, and there is a decided beard beneath the relatively large head. 
At least three other primitive types of true horses are living under the fostering care of mankind, and these, or an admixture of them, constitute our various domestic breeds. Of them the first is the Celtic pony, pale buff, mouse gray, or even brown, with a large forelock and tuft beneath the jaw, a light-colored mane and tail, but with a certain admixture of black hairs. There is long bushy hair at the base of the tail. This horse is also characterized by a short face, broad forehead, slender legs, and small hoofs, and is found from Iceland to western Norway. The second form is the Norse yellow dun or forest pony, related evidently to the Mongolian horse, but larger, stockier, and with fuller mane and tail. In some cases there is a dark stripe down the back and traces of barring on the legs. The face is longer and the hoofs relatively larger than in the Celtic horse. The Norse pony is the main ancestral stock for the ordinary domestic horses of northwestern Europe. The changes may be due to domestication or to the infusion of Arab blood. The last great type is the southern horse or barb, the Arab or thoroughbred, Equus africanus. The color of this creature is bay, sometimes gray, with black points, and often with a white star on the forehead, and one or more white legs. It has a small head and slender, graceful limbs, and possesses great docility and spirit. Nearest the true horse comes the Kiang, Equus Harmonious, of central Mongolia and Turkestan. This creature is not an ass, although ass-like in many ways. It stands twelve and a half hands, the ears are horse-like and the hoofs broad, especially in front. The tail tuft is large, and there is the rudiment of a forelock. In winter the color is grayish, in summer chestnut, with no striping. The zebras are exclusively African, and are of course characterized by a very conspicuous striping when seen out of their natural surroundings. They are, nevertheless, generally reported to be protectively colored when in their appropriate habitat, although this is a subject upon which Colonel Roosevelt has much to say, as he believes that the theory of protective coloration has been considerably overdrawn. There are two well-defined species of zebra living, while a third, the quagga, is so recently extinct that mounted skins may yet be seen in certain museums. The plains or burchal zebra is somewhat variable in the coloring, but always lacks the cross-striped rump, the so-called gridiron, of the true or mountain zebra. The former is still numerous, in fact it is said to be the second big-game animal of the world in point of numbers. The mountain zebra, on the other hand, is becoming so rare that it is protected by law. It is more nearly related to the ass and has longer ears, narrower hoofs, and a scantier tail tuft than the birchal species. The ass, Equus asinus, is domesticated the world over. In fact, its subjugation by mankind long antedates that of the horse. Asses are still wild in the tropics of Africa and are gray at all seasons with a dark back stripe. When wild, the size is medium to large, ranging from eleven to twelve and a quarter hands at the shoulder. The hoofs are small and narrow, and the forepair are no larger than the hinder ones. There are two varieties, the Nubian ass, which has a transverse shoulder stripe, and that of Somali, which lacks the shoulder stripe but has barring on the legs. The domestic variety is typical of the Nubian form. Horses and Man 
Mankind owes a profound debt of gratitude to the horse, first in savage days as an easily obtainable food, later as a partner in his labors without whose aid human progress toward a higher civilization would have been retarded immeasurably. It has been thought by some that the condition of semi-barbarism of the North American Indians, really a race of great potentiality, was in part due to the premature extinction of the American horses. There is no record of the association of man and the extinct horses of America, but during prehistoric times in Europe, before the extinction of the mammoth, we find records of the association of the horse and man in the form of mural decorations on the walls of caverns. It is interesting to note that at least three types of horses are shown by the Paleolithic artists, one a small-headed form resembling in this regard the Arab of today, another large-headed with the erect mane and beard typical of the living Prowalski horse, and a third which in contour closely resembles the Norse or forest pony. The presence of bridle-like markings on the head of one horse has been taken as an indication of domestication on the part of the prehistoric peoples. One finds, however, no trace of a drawing of a man on horseback, or other use of the animal as a beast of burden, and the idea has been advanced that possibly because of its extreme docility it may have been occasionally easier to lead home a captured horse to the slaughter than to carry home the meat. One of the most remarkable prehistoric encampments, not in caves but in the open air, is at Solutre in saône et loire France. Here there was a fine southern exposure sheltered on the north by a steep ridge. Encircling the south side was a kind of protective wall formed almost entirely of the bones of horses to the estimated number of 80,000 individuals. Such a wholesale slaughter, of course, extended over a long period of time, but might readily have been an important factor in local extermination when aided by the weakening effects of disease. End of chapter 35C